Thank you for joining us and for listening to our podcasts. We hope that this may enrich your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one short point that we need to understand before we look at the second coming. And that is what Paul says, and I'm accused by the Bible school students of having this as my favorite verse. It's not at all, but it is definitely one of the most important verses in the New Testament, and it is almost totally ignored by the modern church. And that is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. He he gives a summary of the journey of Israel from Egypt to Canaan. And in verse 11, he says, and this is an example for us living in the last days. And the prophets make it clear that the journey will be repeated in the end. Why is that so important? Well, first of all, the church today in general, I'm not saying every church, but in general, the body of Christ rejects three-fourths of the Bible. They actually will get quite angry if you start basing doctrine on the Old Testament. The only Bible that Jesus used was the Old Testament. The only Bible that his church used for the first almost a hundred years while the New Testament was being written was the Old Testament. And we call ourselves Christians and, oh no, that has nothing to do with, that's the letter that kills. That's the idea. Again, What is happening in the church today is exactly what happened in the church, in God's people, and it's called the church by by, uh, Stephen in Acts. It was the church in the wilderness, he said. So what was happening in the church in the Lord's first coming is exactly what is happening in the church during this second coming. The church, Jesus kept showing the ignorance of the leaders of basic scripture. Haven't you ever read, he says? You don't read? The church doesn't read the Bible. Nice messages about how good you are and promote how You should be happy with yourself and enjoy life. Well, that'll make a mega church, but it won't have the truth because that's not the truth. We're sinners and we need grace to be changed. But if we would only take a look at the journey of Israel 
and by the way, the entire New Testament is based on the old. The New Testament writers got their truth from the old. It's the only Bible they had. If we look at the journey of Israel from Egypt to Canaan, we discover that they were born, that the symbolism is very clear. They were born again by the blood of the Lamb. They were saved from death, right? By Moses' Passover. And then Paul says they ate the same spiritual food and same spiritual drink as we do, the Lord. And then they were baptized in the Red Sea, Paul says. Symbol, the Red Sea is a symbol of baptism in water. It's all right there in chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians. So these people are symbolic of the born-again church, right? In fact, Stephen called them the church by the Holy Spirit. If we would just look at that one verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, we would totally cast out the concept that you can't lose your salvation. These people were saved by the blood, baptized, ate spiritual food, the Lord, and drank the spiritual water, the living water from the rock, which is a symbol of the Lord. And some of them went straight to hell as the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. Remember? And the entire generation died in the wilderness without reaching the goal, except for two men, Joshua and Caleb. You know, I showed you the notes that I had, references that I have to many different themes. I have over 30 references, Old Testament and New Testament, that prove without a doubt that a born-again, spirit-filled Christian can lose their life and end in hell. Over 30 references. What do they have for the doctrine on eternal security? You can't lose your salvation. Basically, not just private interpretation. It's just emotional appeals to the flesh. Oh, God would never do that. Who said? <laughs> no one will ever pluck you out of the hand of God. But the Bible says you can leave his hand if you choose. I mean... <laughs> The basis for the eternal security is, in light of over 30 passages that say the opposite, it's absolutely tragic. It's tragedy, tragedy and has sent millions to hell because it's a false doctrine that promises a lie. So let's ask the Lord for his grace to obey him and be blessed forever. Amen? But 
I want to see with you just for a, a moment something that is very amazing regarding the second coming. Here in Joshua chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and verse 8, when Israel was about to enter the promised land by crossing the Jordan River, and God did another, this, the miracle he did at the Red Sea, he separated the waters. They walked across on dry ground. And the Jordan River was flooding at the time, which it did every year in those days, as the Bible tells us. And they're about to cross the river. And the officers, here's what it says, commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. <clears throat> Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way heretofore. Never passed this way before. The NIV tells us in verse 8, Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And when they went to stand in the river, the water disappeared. They were on dry ground. And the Bible says they stayed in the middle of the river, until all of Israel had crossed over. Well, what is the Ark of the Covenant that shows the way? Who is the way? Jesus. Jesus. Does Jesus have anything to do with the Jordan River? That's where he was baptized. That's where heavens opened, the Bible says, to him. That's where the dove descended upon him, the Holy Spirit. From that day on, he could say, I, do, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. The heavens were opened. How easy, what rest, how, what an, you could do that, couldn't you? If you were obedient. I mean, just imitate, the, if the Father lays his hands on someone over here, and Jesus had his eyes open to the heavens, the Father lays his hands on this person, Jesus puts his hands on that person. The, the Father says that he's going to call Lazarus out of the grave. Well, Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave. It always works. You know... One of the important things to remember about Jesus, he never ever once did anything on his own, with his own initiative. Never, ever. That was the great temp temptation of Satan in the wilderness. If you're the son of God, 
change these stones into bread. I mean, you're really hungry and the father wouldn't mind. Satan was trying to get Jesus to do what he, Satan, had done. Acted on his own. Made his own decision. Exalted himself. Used his power in the wrong way. He was trying to get Jesus to do that. And if, he, if Jesus would have turned the stones into bread, Satan would have won the battle and he would have said, you see, uh, I'm no more guilty than you are. I did, one, I did one thing on my own. Now you did one thing on your own. You're just as guilty. He never did one thing on his own. He only obeyed the Father. From the Jordan River on especially, every detail was the Father's doing. He said so. And Jesus is represented by the Ark of the Covenant. The glory of God lived upon the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim. Remember? That Bible says so. And where did the glory of God rest? It rested on Jesus when he was on the earth. The ark was made out of wood, and that's a symbol of man, humanity. We're trees of righteousness, aren't we? We're supposed to be. Well, wood is a tree that's been crucified, cut down and sawed into boards. Not pleasant, right? So Jesus, and, and cover, it was covered with gold inside and out, and that's a symbol of God. The Bible says that gold is God. It's a symbol of him. So his humanity was completely covered within and without with the divine presence and character, nature. And the glory of God rested on him. He was the, the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of what the Lord Jesus is. A man upon whom the glory of God rested. And he went to the Jordan River. And the people of God are supposed to follow him to the Jordan River. But 2,000 cubits after he goes. Do you understand the, the symbolism? He goes to the Jordan 2,000 cubits ahead of us. The journey is a symbol for the people in the last days, Paul says. Jesus went to the Jordan 2,000 years before we're going to go to the Jordan. When we're going to enter into the Holy Land and defeat every enemy. We don't have the battle in extreme until we cross the Jordan spiritually. And the church will cross the Jordan together in one day. Suddenly, suddenly, we're going to be in a different place, the church. You understand? And it'll be a great battle where the Lord does the fighting and we do the possessing of the, pro of the, the, the promised land. <clears throat> So 2,000 years between the first coming and the second coming. 
You understand? Do we see that? 2,000 years, he went ahead of us. He's the way, and he showed the way and how we'll cross over and in, enter into the inheritance. We hate to ask the ushers to once more give you some charts. <laughs> okay? Spanish first, or are we doing both? English first? Okay. You guys probably know everyone in here now. <laughs> uh, don't try to figure it out yet. We're going to go through it step by step, all right? Don't be distracted. <clears throat> now we're going to look at the 15 details, 15 events of the second coming, comparing them with the first coming. First of all, just like in the first coming, God's people waited 2,000 years between Abraham and, and, and the Messiah. And now we have waited 2,000 years between the first coming of the Messiah and the second coming of the Messiah. There is a period of weeks before the first coming and a period of weeks before the second coming. And we'll mention why the difference in the number. The church today is convinced that Rome is the harlot and that the Antichrist will come out of Rome and the Holy Roman Empire. Is that true? How many know that's true? Is that all? You, that's good, maybe. <laughs> you, you, are, you haven't been exposed to the doctor. That is absolutely, without a doubt, what maybe 99% of believers have been taught. Rome is the great harlot. Out of Rome will come the Antichrist. <clears throat> There are 60, more than 60 details given about the harlot in Revelation 17 and 18. And I would challenge anyone here to find one single scripture that applies even one of those 60 plus details to Rome. <clears throat> I can show you 60 scriptures that apply every single one of them to God's people. God in the te Old Testament says his people have become a harlot. Jerusalem is a harlot. Isaiah 121. The Jews occupy a very amazing position in the world. There are approximately 15 million Jews living in the world today. The world hates them, and every day the hatred is getting worse. 
First of all, it's satanic. Satan hates the Jews because they're God's chosen people. He hates you too if you're a true born again Christian. And the only reason you don't die is because God won't let him touch you or kill you. <laughs> he will let him sometimes touch you for, like he did with Job for your blessing. You will learn and get, grow up and get the victory over him. <clears throat> You're going to have a hard time believing this, what I'm going to say. The Jews run the world, and the world knows it. What, what, what has power in the world today? Is it money? Doesn't money rule? That's why this country, U.S., is now a communist country because the communist countries have paid off the teachers starting off with the universities, down through the high school, and now all the way to kindergarten. They're paid off, they've been bought by communism. <clears throat> and if not, then it's because they have to follow their peers, it's peer pressure to teach the same way and the same things. Communism has taken over our education system. Two-thirds of our youth between 18 and 36 want this country to be a communist country because they have been taught that communism is wonderful and the U.S. is a terrible, perverted, evil country. That's what they're being taught. If your children are in that, you're sending them to hell every day. And they're going to end up in hell under that influence six, eight hours a day, they're going to turn out very bad. Either, I mean, homeschooling is the best. The second best is a Christian, a truly Christian school. And that's not nearly as good as homeschooling. How could I say the Jews run the world? Well, all through the last 2,000 years, almost, 1,900 years, in Europe, the Jews were persecuted. They weren't allowed to own businesses. They weren't allowed to do all kinds of things in many of the countries. So what did the Jews do? They dedicated themselves to being bankers. Bankers. And today, the top Jewish family, the Rothschilds, own the World Bank. They own the International Monetary Fund. And they own the dollar. How could they own the dollar? Well, in, tw in 1913, the Rothschilds family sent a an employee, top-level employee, over to the United States from Europe, and money talks. He was able to buy off enough congressmen to cancel what had been the policy of the U.S. since its founding, that there would be no national bank. It was illegal. 
they changed the law and they allowed a national private bank to be formed called the Federal Reserve. It owns the dollar. It has the power to print as many dollars as it wants. It doesn't have to have the gold or silver to back it. They just, under, Obama, uh, under Biden, they have printed seven trillion pieces of paper. Seven trillion dollars to fund what Biden is doing. Pour it in and to just pour it. That's why we got this enormous inflation. It's one of the many reasons. And I'm not talking about things that aren't well known. You can look up in the encyclopedia and you will find that the Federal Reserve is a private bank. And it's the one that owns the dollar and can print as many as it wants or as few as it, as it wants. It controls the economy in the U.S. Primarily owned by the Jews. And two-thirds of the world's wealth is held in dollars. Does that make the Rothschilds kind of rich? Have, how many of you have heard of the Waltons? Waltons? Well, mate, let me see if you're awake. How many of you have heard of Walmart? <laughs> well, a little more, there's a little more cooperation. <laughs> the Waltons own Walmart. The Waltons family. The Walton family. They count their money in billions. You understand? A billion in the U.S. is a thousand million. They count their money in billions. The Rothschilds count their money in trillions. Thousands of billions. Super, super rich. They, control, they basically control the world banking system. Directly or indirectly. That's why the world hates them, because they're jealous. They're jealous of the Jews. The incredible prosperity. And there's, there's another reason they hate them, and especially the devil. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, your descendants will be blessed. He made a covenant with Abraham. And you know that God doesn't break his covenant? Even though the Jews have broken their side of it, even though the Jews are using things for their own selfish ends, God still blesses them. It's this covenant. He's going, to, he's going to bless them because of the seed of Abraham. He promised to do it. The world and the devil know that. And the blessing upon the Jews is proof that God is real and he's alive. Amen. You understand? And the devil can't handle that. Nor the world. They hate God. The world in general hates God. That's why we have the theory of evolution that's been proven. You know, I, I share on evolution as a scientist. I worked as a scientist. 
So I have a right to talk as a scientist, right? I already went that way. I can give you 15 scientific proofs that evolution is a total myth and it is totally impossible scientifically. It's absurdity. It's the craziest thing that humanity has, has ever believed. It's way worse than the flat earth, flat earth theory. <clears throat> because what it is, is under, how many of you ever heard of Louis Pasteur? Oh, my, many. Okay, that's the best response we've had. <laughs> when Louis Pasteur lived, the world, all the world believed they had scientific proof in spontaneous generation. You know what that is? You know, if they threw a pot, they had proof. They saw it happen all the time. They'd throw a pile of garbage into a corner, and within a week or two or three weeks, there were mice there. They that garbage turned to mice. It's called spontaneous generation, scientifically proven. Every time they did it, mice would be there in a matter of days or weeks. You got it? <laughs> well, Louis Pasteur proved that life begets life, and if you don't have life, you don't get life. Life comes from life. It's not from garbage. Well, a Dr. George Wald got the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 1967. And Dr. Wald said, and this is on tape, that regarding the origin of man, there's only two possible scenarios either creationism or spontaneous generation that these mice just appeared <laughs> these mice <laughs> bunch of garbage on the earth and lo and behold man came out <laughs> he said there's only two he didn't say all that but he said there's only two options it's either creationism or spontaneous, he understood. Evolution believes in spontaneous generation. It is simply a refining of the crazy idea they had in the days of Louis Pasteur. It, that's what it is. It's spontaneous generation. It's life out of nothing, inanimate objects. It happened, just happened. He said, but for, for philosophical and personal reasons, oh, he said, spontaneous generation has been proven to be impossible by Louis Pasteur and Spangali and another guy. Proven it's impossible to get life out of inanimate objects. He said, but for personal and philosophical reasons, I choose to believe the impossible. At least the, he was honest. He believed in evolution probably until he went to hell because he hated God. He basically admitted it. 
That's the reason evolution exists today. Because the scientists, false science, the Bible calls it, the so-called scientists, they know that it's impossible, but they refuse to admit it because they hate God. Not all of them, but many of them. They know it. I mean, if I know it, they know it. Fifteen scientific proofs. I, I said 35, 40 years ago that DNA, DNA, ADN, will prove that evolution is absolutely false. It has over and over and over, but they ignore it. About two to three years ago, a DNA expert of renown proved, proved scientifically that all of humanity came from one father and one mother. Proven. I, they don't care. They're still going to believe it. Because the options are believe that myth or believe in God. And as George Wall said, I, I, I'm not willing to do that. Amen. So let's... So the, the issue is God continues to bless the Jews because they're descendants of Abraham and he's a covenant-keeping God. And you know, the Jews, seven million Jews in Israel, and they are on the cutting edge of every single technology on the planet. From agriculture down to nuclear, or from agriculture up to nuclear physics, they're on the cutting edge. Israel improves the arms for the military, for the U.S. The U.S. gives them an airplane and they say, oh, let's improve it. And then all of a sudden the U.S. wants the improvement. Uh, the, I have a report from Wall Street in New York, not from the Jews, but from what is known as a think tank, people that do the thinking and planning and for, from the 90s. They said the entire economic infrastructure of the Western world, which is Europe and the U.S. and this, the, this hemisphere, depends on Israel. And the reason is Israel invents it and the West sells it. That's what keeps us running. Let me give you just one example. We lived in Israel in 1994, and grade school kids were going to school with cell phones. Cell phones had not even been heard of in the U.S. But they, they invented it because they wanted the parents to be able to keep in touch with their kids in case there was a terrorist attack, and they were every 20 minutes. When we lived in Israel, the terrorists attacked Israel 24-7 every 20 minutes. There was a terrorist attack somewhere in the country, small country, every 20 minutes, day and night. And Israel's not allowed to defend themselves. You know, now the world's caught telling, you know, stop attacking Hamas. I hope they don't. 
but they might. <clears throat> They've always, it's amazing. I mean, the Jews aren't just all bad people. No, far from it. They're blessed, and so yeah, they end up controlling the world. How do they control the world? Well, you know, you go over to Germany or to England or any big country, even the U.S., uh, you say you need a loan. Uh, well, I think we could arrange that if you'll do this and this and this. You get it? They decide if you get a loan. The, the, the nations. So, but they're not all bad people. I'll tell you the truth. Some of them love the Lord so much they put the evangelical world to shame in their dedication to, to the Lord. And also, they do things that I would never do. I mean, talk about meekness. Do you know, how many of you know that they have the terrorists that were wounded and didn't get killed? They have them in the hospital along with the Israeli victims, healing them. How many knew that? Anybody? Oh, some of you do? Would you do that? Mm, I think I would just say, uh, sorry, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I'll come back for you in a week or two. <laughs> I mean, I know you got a bad wound, but that's tough luck, right? <laughs> I mean, you did this to us. I can't imagine that Israel would... They keep doing that. They keep healing the terrorists if they survive the battle. What kind of people are they? They're not as bad as the world paints. Not by any means. We live there. We, we know what they're like. The, the Orthodox Jews have a heart for God. Paul says so. The Bible says so. And they happen to be blessed. So that's just the way life is on this earth. The Gentiles forced them into it to be bankers. Boy, let's continue. <clears throat> the Bible says that his people are, is the harlot. They are the harlot. Uh, good thing we're not. What is a harlot? It's a person that has other loves, right? A woman? We're, are we part of the bride of Christ? Have you ever had another love in this life? Something you really loved? Revelation 18.4 tells us, Come out of her, my people. Come out of the harlot. How can we come out of the harlot if we're not part of the harlot? Right? We are part of the harlot. We need to recognize it. And we're not in Rome. We've all had loves. We've all chosen other things in this life. Years ago when I was a lot younger... I told the Lord one day, Lord, and I said it with all my heart, I really meant it, 
I said, Lord, I love you more than anything else in life. And he responded immediately, almost audibly, and said, I know that's true. And that's the problem. He opened my eyes. What would you say? Married men. What would you say if your wife told you, Honey, I love you more than any other man. Well, that's wonderful. And by the way, how many other men do you love? <laughs> I love you more than anything else. Yeah, I know. And you love a lot of other things. Lord, help us to be totally given to you. Amen? Ironically, if we don't recognize that we are part of the harlot, then we will end with her and live with her eternally. We need to recognize, Lord, yes, I know that I have other loves, and I want to come out of the harlot and love you and you alone. You know, how many of you know that you're supposed to hate your parents? Nobody knows that? There are three or four. Jesus said, unless you hate your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, your, everyone else, and your own life also, you can't be my disciple. That's in Luke. Have you heard any messages on that lately? What's he saying? He's saying we are called to hate what the flesh is. It doesn't matter who it's in, and especially if it's in us. We, we need to come to hate the way of the flesh. Do you understand? And choose the Lord's way, his life, not our fleshly Adamic nature. I don't know how many times we've had young people, 25, you know, they, they'll, they'll get in touch with me or their pastor and say, well, this person really wants to attend Bible school, but her, her parents do not allow her to go. They said no. Uh, how old is she? Uh, 25 what? Children obey your parents. Adults, you're going to give an account to God, not to your parents. You're not going to be able to hide behind your parents. You must obey the Lord when you're an adult, not necessarily your parents. If your parents are godly, that's fine. If they've heard from God and you know and they know it's the Lord... That's fine. But if, it, if you have a desire to go to Bible school or something or a mission field, and they say, no, you can't go, well, you obey God. Amen? Because you're going to give an account to him as an adult.
Thank you for listening to Hebron Ministries podcasts. Christ in us is the hope of glory. We hope that Christ may be glorified in the church. If you would like to know more about Hebron Ministries International, please visit us at www.hebronministries.com. Thank you.